it. Played by Westbrook. Ginobili for three. Yes! One-point lead for San Antonio. Terry, a long three. Bang! Jason Terry gives the Mavericks a seven-point lead with 33 seconds remaining. Simmers bring it in. Five seconds to go. Tie game. Seat belts are fastened. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo! Oh my goodness. That's a stretch. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Six Man Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Barnett. And joining me after building part one of three of the Titanic in Indianapolis, Mr. Mark Satterley. Mark. How does it feel to be building a boat? Um, well, at least this one's not at the bottom of the ocean. So, I mean, that's a plus. But it is going to be at the bottom of his bathtub. Um, you know, somebody actually had already floated that idea to me, no pun intended. Um, and I was like, ah, it is tempting. But at the same time, man, that's a lot of money that I put into that Lego. And I want to keep it pretty pristine. I think I'm going to. I, my desk right here that I got, I'm going to put it on like a shelf above that and I'll use it as kind of a nice, uh, nice decoration sort of piece. So it was between uh, that and the giant Lego Star Destroyer. And I was like, ah, Titanic's a little bit more, a uh, little classier. No, you got to go with the, the Star Destroyer will really class out the place. But I also, you mentioned that and I'm like, well, next time I get a little bit of spending money, that might be next. So. That other voice you heard chiming in is none other than Cam Koenig. Cam joining us from Wrigleyville, as he always does. Cam, how are you feeling knowing that IU got some votes from the top 25 uh, poll again? Uh, we take those, Zach. It's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, there's a team that I, I believe has 20 wins that is outside the top 25 still, and they actually have like four wins against the top 65 teams. So uh, shout out to Murray State. They are very, very good. Um, 27th like, if you go that far. In the state yeah, range. very good. Uh, let, let's start in college, man. College basketball has been wild. Uh, we found out since the last time we recorded IUPUI is the worst basketball team in college basketball by literal miles. And... I want to get your thoughts, Cam, uh, on the Ohio State Purdue game. Um, that was crazy. That was a good game. You know, I, I think, um, I, it, but it, it, I, Purdue did a very good job pulling that off. I, I honestly got, I thought the game was over. Um, and then Ohio State made that run at the end. Um, I think the two, uh, uh, Purdue's last couple games, or at least, you know, their game against Indiana and their game against Ohio State. I think if Matt Painter could choose two games to, like, not have been televised, not have been recorded, I think he probably would have picked those two because I think it showed how you beat Purdue. Because I think both teams – I think the 
both teams did a really good job of just disrupting, kind of disrupting Purdue's flow on offense. I think, you know, having somebody who can guard to an extent, Zach Eady, is really important. And I think, you know, Indiana had that in Michael Durr and Ohio State has that in Joey Brunk. Um, if you can have somebody who can play Edie physically, and then, you know, I, I don't know how long Ivy is going to continue to come off the bench. Um, but if you can play, if, if you can play Edie physically, if you can, um, you know, make Purdue work for it offensively and, you know, really challenge them to play defense, um, that's, that kind of scares me about Purdue. I think they, you know, the first 35 minutes of that game, they looked like a real legit national championship contender. Um, and then, but there's just, there's just moments with them that kind of give me pause of, of putting them in that bracket. Yeah. We should throw Mark to this conversation too, as Mark is a massive fan of the boilers and Mark, uh, another game that I really think like, kind of highlights how you have to beat Purdue uh, is the Wisconsin game at Mackey Arena where Johnny Davis, 37 and 14, but also played pretty good defensively inside on Travion Williams and Zach Eady and really made their life hell. Is that the recipe for beating Purdue? It's just like shutting down their bigs and being able to take advantage of the runs that Purdue gives up every day. Yeah, I think that's probably it because I think Purdue is at their best, obviously, when they're able to go inside or outside and then have those two options. But once you shut down their interior game and you force them to just shoot perimeter shots, you've got Sasha Stevanovich who can hit those shots most of the time. But if he's not on, it's a 50-50 whether the, whether the other guys on the – I guess the other guards are going to pick up the slack or not. So why isn't um, why isn't Brandon Newman playing? Uh, he's kind of squeaky too. He's just on painter shit list at the moment. I don't know. Um, like, he's kind of squeaky, like he, but I I think he he should be playing more than he is. But I, I mean, he's um, really athletic. I mean, obviously, you know, he doesn't necessarily have the um. It, you know, the kind of like he, he's kind of like a you know he kind of has more of like the all around, um, you know, game. The, you know, the all around feel to him. And I know he plays really good defense, which you know I'm kind of surprised why you know I'm kind of surprised as to why Purdue isn't playing him you know more than they are. But the thing that really concerns me about Purdue, and I know Mark would bring this up, I know Zach would bring this up. It's it's what's going to I think be the, their downfall in the NCAA tournament: the free throw shooting. Free throw shooting is horrible versus I think Iowa last week, they were shooting 59% from three and I believe they shot 45% from free throw. Yeah, they shot and they shot uh, 44% against IU. They shot 57% against Ohio state. I think, um, you know, I was watching that game with my dad um, and Edie missed. I think he had two trips to the foul line real early in that game, like two of their, really their first possessions. And I think he missed like all four of those free throws. And I know we've talked about Ivy being, you know, a top five-ish pick. He's really got to get his free throws better. I mean, I know with drafting with the NBA, a lot of it does come down to, hey, 
people are more looking at upside and potential than they are necessarily finished product. But God, dude, if you're shooting 50% on free throws as a guard, like it's going to be tough. So yeah, ID Ivy, excuse me, is shooting 71% from three throw as a team. And this kind of surprises me. Purdue is shooting 70%, but I think, I, I mean, I think like as a team, 70% is kind of like the, the Mendoza line in basketball. Like that's about like anything below that. And, you know, you're not good as a team. And, and you know, if you can be above, I, you know, 75, I think that's probably as really as good as you can ask for. I just, man, it's so depressing to, yeah, 70% from free throw. I'm like, guys, they're free throws. Literally, I mean, there's nobody defending you. It's just you in the damn basket. Like put the ball in the basket. That's better than I can shoot. I guess, but man, if I was Matt Painter, some of these games where they're shooting 50% or below on free throws, I'd say, hey, everybody's, we're going to the gym after this game. Y'all are hitting 100 free throws, and then you can go home each. 100 free throws. I don't care how long you're here shooting free throws. You got to make 100, and then you can go home. I've done that a few times. I, I, I uh, used to ref in a real basketball at IU and uh if there was ever if we ever got like a game on our court canceled I would just take the take my uh take the stripes off take the ball and just shoot free throws for the entire time we had we had the court to ourselves I think the thing with Matt Painter that always gets me is his teams the last five minutes of both halves typically let their foot off the gas and then it bites them in the ass you know Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. They got enough of a lead to where, like, okay, you can let off a little bit, but, like, still, that doesn't bode well for the NCAA tournament. And then, God, there are times where I'm just like, dude, stop being such a nice guy. Scream at your players a little bit every now and again, and you might get a little bit more out of them, especially when, you know, the intensity drops off or, you know, I don't know, be the bad guy. Make them shoot 100 free throws after a game, like – play hardball with these guys. If like, if you can't get through to them, you know, how you're doing it, you might want to try something else. So I don't know. That's a, uh, in between gruntled and disgruntled Purdue fan somewhere in there. I want to move on to UCLA, the next, uh, team up in the top four. So we have Purdue in four, UCLA in three. And UCLA has been an interesting team this year because they've had a bunch of games postponed or canceled due to COVID. Their early season, they walloped Villanova in overtime. The game was not really that close. Then they get blown out by Gonzaga. They beat UNLV bad. They beat Colorado bad. They blew out Marquette. Then this uh, past week, in fact, they beat Arizona. 75-59 at home, and their only loss so far in conference has been Oregon. They have a home – or they play on the road against Arizona again later and, this week. And that Oregon game was wild. Yeah, 84-81. It went to, I think, double that, overtime. If I'm not... over, I think that game went to overtime. I remember watching it. That and they was... play at Oregon uh, on 224. Cam, I think that working game might decide who wins the regular season Pac-12 title. I know Oregon, I think they need UCLA to get one more loss, but if they win both and they can tie it. Yeah, I think obviously, you know, still got six weeks left in the season. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I thought you were 
I thought you were done. Um, yeah, UCLA eight and one in in the Pac-12. Arizona seven and one in the Pac-12. USC eight and three, and then Oregon and Washington are both six and three. Um, but yeah, this you know this uh, I'm very excited to watch this uh, UCLA Arizona game. Uh, that's going to be a top ten matchup on Thursday the third. Um, and then you know Air, the and then uh, the, the UCLA's got a somewhat difficult schedule at, at Arizona State. I mean, obviously it's it's tough to win on the road, but um, UCLA should win that game. Stanford has been uh, has been tough this year. That could pretty. I mean, you never know with them. Um, then they have at USC, which you know throw the throw the standings out in that game. Uh, and then, you know, again, they, they, Washington State, not bad this year. Washington's not bad this year. Obviously, the rematch against Oregon. Then they have a game at Oregon State, and then they finish up. Um, they'll probably – I think they have to – they probably will have to reschedule a – they may have to reschedule a game with Washington and Arizona State um, somewhere in this. Or I'm not sure if those have already been rescheduled. Um but yeah, the Pac-12 could, could be pretty interesting this year. I know the latest bracketology still only had or had four teams from the Pac-12 getting in, um, and you know I think as long as the Pac-12 gets more uh, a greater amount of teams than the West Coast Conference in the NCAA tournament, I think it would be uh, a successful year for them, especially if you know UCLA, Arizona, you know stay in the top ten, and you know USC stays uh in the top 25 i think oregon could you know oregon is kind of projected to be that last team in right now um and i think they they should be able to get in but yeah ucla has probably been the cream of the crop uh in turn in the uh in the pac-12 this year obviously you know johnny juzang has been really good jules bernard uh jaime Haquez, tiger campbell they're getting some they're getting some pretty good play from their guards yeah, and it's it, the bracketology right now is really weird to me because I think they had Creighton as one of the first four buys or last four buys or whatever. And I, I mean, I'm I'm not shitting on whoever does this for a living, but Creighton does not deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, their last two losses have been abysmal. They only have one good win, and that's against Villanova. Um, and I mean, you cannot lose to Butler by 25 and expect to get into the NCAA tournament. I mean, it's just unacceptable. Yeah. And, you know, it seems to me I've kind of noticed that as well, because like the, the Big East is up this year. The Big East has, you know, five teams in the top 25 right now. Um, so, you know, they may get a nod, you know, just because of like the kind of the strength of the schedule that the Big East has. Like the Big 12, they were projecting like they could p- potentially get eight teams in. The NCAA tournament, if uh, if if West Virginia can kind of claw claw some uh, games back, I mean, I I feel like the you know with probably except you know with the exception being like the ACC, um, the major conferences are pretty top heavy this year, um, and it's like there's not a whole lot of like it doesn't feel that there's a whole lot of um, real bubble teams at the moment. Like it feels like there's, you know, there's like probably like, you know, 30, 40, like 30 to 40 teams that will, that'll, 
or 30 teams that will like comfortably get in or like 25 teams that are, that will comfortably get in. Like, yeah, if you look at the bracketology, like, you know, on the bubble, it should be, you know, there's about 16 to 20 teams that'll be interesting, but it's like, is Michigan really in a fir- in the first four out position at the moment? I don't think so. Like, I would, I would give Michigan a nod it's over It's probably TCU. just going to be, like, who's left over from, like, who's got a 500 record in conference play and, like, the, you know, the power five, power six, and we'll just take those guys. Because that's the thing, like, you know, th- there's – I think there's there's spots to be won for these teams that are kind of on the, um, you know, in, in the middle of these power five conferences because the American is down this year. Um, the A10 is really just Davidson at the moment. So, like some of these traditional, like two or three bid leagues, are probably only going to get one this year. So that's I think that's why you're seeing so many like 500 Power Five, Power Six teams. You know, probably a little bit more comfortable than they would be uh, in years past. If looking at bracketology this year. So speaking of uh, a team I don't buy, and that's Texas Christian University. Baylor, I believe, sits in at the – no, Gonzaga sits in at the two seed. Uh, and Gonzaga, West Coast Conference, uh, aficionados. Now, Cam, you're higher on the West Coast Conference. I think a lot of people are. They had San Francisco in in the last four buys. They're getting in three or four teams, according to the latest bracketology. I'm a big fan of the Dons, but to me, it's still Gonzaga's conference to lose. And so what's, what do you think are the actual odds of the WCC seeing this many bids? Or is it really just like maybe look at three teams at a most? Because I, I just have a really hard time imagining them giving four nods to this conference, even though I think the Dons are rightfully deserving you know, having beat Davidson, having beat, um, you know, Fresno State, Arizona State earlier in the year. UAB, um, too, who UAB is probably going to win Conference USA. Right. Um, you know, they had they had that – they kind of had that uh, – they threw, threw a game in against Loyola Chicago, which not and not many other teams would take, like, mid, like just a midseason addition to that. You know, they beat Nevada – uh, who is, you know, somewhat who is, a, you know, having a okay year in the Mountain West, who is, you know, also kind of uh, strong this year. Boise State, Wyoming, Colorado State all have chances of getting in. Um, I think so. San Francisco is definitely the most at risk. They are four and three in the conference. Now, all three of their losses, it's two points to BYU, two points to St. Mary's and obviously to Gonzaga. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I think if San Francisco, you know, if they can pick up a win, maybe at, you know, find a way to win one of these games against BYU and St. Mary's, one of their uh, two remaining games, um, you know, I think that would be, you know, pretty important for them, you know, in securing what would probably be just uh, unprecedented, for like the West Coast Conference to um, to get the to get that many teams in, um, Mark, what, what say you here? I don't know if you've had a chance to look over 
bracketology recently, but um, you know, it, it does seem that there are kind of a, that this, this bubble is maybe a little bit smaller than it has been in recent years. Um, what, what do you think that stems from this year? Honestly, I don't follow a ton of college basketball outside of Purdue, if we're going to be honest. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, there's a reason they call them the power five conferences. Like the best players tend to go to the best teams in the power five conferences to get the best competition, um, you know, get the best facilities or whatever, you know, they're going to train and play and practice in, you know, better coaching, better amenities and all that. And then at the end of the day too, better exposure. Like if you're looking to go that next level to NBA, that's kind of where you want to be. Um, and so I think that's, it just always kind of trends that way anyway. I think regardless of what sport you're looking at um, in college basketball, I don't think is any different. Um, I think you're probably right in terms of um, teams to fill out the bracket are probably going to be your teams that are, you know, at 500 or maybe a game over in your power five conferences, just, you know, like, you could probably finish mid pack in the big 10 or maybe even a little bit below and you might, you might squeak in. So, yeah, I think um, like, nine, so I think there is hope. IU I would say is probably like, they will definitely get in the tournament. I think IU is like, is as long as they don't fall apart because yeah. I know they're sitting in, they've got some good wins. They're sitting in six right now. And I know the non-conference schedule isn't really there for uh, IU this year. But if, if you look down like all the way, like, you know, top to bottom of the big 10, like nine and nine probably feels good. Like probably feels safe, you know, nine and nine. And as long as you get out of like the, the first round of the big 10 tournament, um, you know, and so if, if you look at like bracketology, like, okay, big 12, eight, which is, I, I don't think the big 12 is going to get eight, you know, especially like West Virginia is like two and five in the big in conference play right now, Iowa state, even though they're still ranked like in the top 23 and five, I think that's probably going to settle. You're probably going to get like seven, big 10, seven, which I, I, I could see the big 10 getting seven, the big East seven. I, I, I don't, you're, you're with your point towards Creighton. I don't, I don't think the big East is going to get um, seven sec six. I could see the sec maybe sneaking in a team ACC five. Uh, I don't see the committee only giving the ACC five bids. The West Coast Conference and the Pac-12 four a piece, though. And you know the, the point we were saying earlier. I think San Francisco needs to beat. I, I think they need so that they're going to have th they have three games against um, you know uh, Gonzaga, BYU, and St. Mary's. I think they need to win two of those games to like really secure a seat. And then I think they probably need to get to the uh, West Coast Conference final almost. Um, and that's the thing, they can't lose to any other team in the West Coast Conference. Um, and then you have the Mountain West with three. So that's, that's the thing, you're gonna have these middle of the pack power five teams going to get a bid just because the American is down this year. Um, it's basically Houston, maybe SMU, um, if they can, uh, if they can get a win against Houston on February 9th. Um, and then they, again, on February 27th, Cincinnati could maybe, 
sneak a bit as well, but I think they're going to have to beat, they're probably going to have to beat Houston and SMU a couple times. Um, the A-10 is down, like we were saying. It's just Davidson. We thought St. Bonaventure was going to be better than they are. We thought VCU was going to be better than they are. And I still think that the top five or six teams in the ACC will probably just get like a auto bid, basically. But uh, moving on from bracketology, uh, further on and kind of bridging the gap here into our NBA coverage, um, we have some more. We have a, we're kind of taking a, a first look here at some NBA uh, mock drafts. Um, and we were kind of talking about who, obviously the, the debate coming into this year uh, was number one, was it going to be Chet Holmgren or Paulo Banchero? And I think it's kind of moved off both of those two. Now, I still think they're going to be really strong candidates just because of their skill set and how the NBA values, um, you know, those power forward center types. But if we're talking about somebody who I think could – uh, I think has a really good shot of going number one. And I think who I would put a futures bet on right now, I think I would bet on Jabari Smith from Auburn at the moment. Um, Auburn, obviously 20 and one, the number one team in the country, but, you know, Jabari Smith averaging 15 points, seven rebounds a game. You know, he's looked really good. You know, he's a leading scorer on the top country or the top team in the country. Um, and you know, his skill set has been really impressive, I think, with uh, with Auburn this year. I would, I would 100% take Jabari Smith with the number one pick. I watched a little bit of Auburn basketball this year. You don't get a lot of six, nine power forwards with seven foot wingspans who are as powerful defensively as he is and he plays exceptional defense but also he has a really good mid-range game and if he can expand the range you know uh, some of the comps I've seen for him would be like Jaron Jackson Jr. plus Rashard Lewis plus here's another one I think people kind of forget about is like kind of plays a lot like Chris Weber did when he came out of Michigan uh, but like a little better on defense and so yeah, I mean, if you're getting Chris Weber better on defense out of Jabari Smith, uh, if you're the Magic or the Pistons or even the Thunder Rockets, you're feeling so good about that kind of fit. It, and again, I I have not been a big fan of Chet Holmgren this entire year. I have him on my big board number six overall. And it's wow. just because – it's just I, every time I've watched him play, man, it just ha- – I, I don't know what it is. I just haven't seen it from him enough to, like, convince me other otherwise that he's worthy of a top-five pick. Um, but Jabari Smith, when, I don't – When he – when Chet Holgram gets into an NBA weight room and puts on 20 pounds, it's I, – I think he – he I think he has the highest floor – of anybody in like the top 10. I don't know about that. And again, it's just a preference thing. Like I look at like players who supposedly have his touch and supposedly have his passing ability and stuff like that. 
you know, a lot of comparisons have been like Dirk, which I think is like the ultimate high end is like Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki. But like other comparisons I've seen are like Marcus Camby, who is a good player. Marcus like, Camby on defense. Like, let's not forget Chet. Like I said, if you put, if Chet Holgram had, if he weighed 20 pounds more than he does right now, I'm talking right now, not going in to the NBA season next year, he would be the consensus number one pick far and away. If he, if he, if he weighed 220, 225, he would be the number one pick easily. He, he plays, I mean, that's it. He plays really good defense. You wouldn't expect it from somebody, you know, with his, his skill set. He is a, I, I, he is a defensive game changer. He is a, I, he is somebody who could legitimately, you know, be a, he's a rim protector. You wouldn't expect it, but he is like, he has some of the best like low post defense, you know, that I, I I've really seen, um, you know, he's, a, and this obviously is, you know, at Gonzaga in the West coast conference, you know, three and a half blocks a game, not bad. Yeah, I think we'll see. I just I I've been sold on him. Uh, that just could just be maybe it's the talent he's playing against or playing with those kinds of things. But um, the weight thing will always be an issue to me. And I think teams in college have the, the in the games they've lost, they've went out of their way to like show how to make him look bad. And the games he looks bad in, I haven't been super impressed. The third the third guy. I think on everybody's big board, maybe up top three, uh, is Paolo Banchero from Duke. I great score. score. Great, great score. score. I really want I really would think if he had a little bit longer of a wingspan or was a little bit faster, he would be the number one overall pick. Um He's like, and like a lot of people are saying he's Chris Weber, but to me, he's like a, like a almost a Carl Malone type in the way he plays. He's just, and I mean, don't get me wrong, you're getting Carl Malone with a third overall pick. Like, you're, you're taking that 10 times out of 10. He's got but, a really pretty mid range jumper, too. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I will, I, I'll be, I'll be interesting to see, like, you know, what, what they end up saying. But a lot of people say he's lacking a lead upside, but I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, another thing, I, I think another really good comparison is like almost like a Chris Bosch type where it's like he can put the ball on the floor and score for you and be your number one option. But he also seems like the kind of guy who would be the third wheel on a championship team and be very good at, be very good at that. Um and, you know, right now, of course, the Rockets would be having the third pick if the season was decided today and the, everything worked out uh, the way they want. I will say my my next pick, what a lot of people would go with, is probably very different. Um, I, think, I, I think there's a top four. I think there's like – I would call it like four, I think – Smith, Holgram, Banchero, and Jaden Ivey are like the clear top, like the S tier in this draft. I, I think, you know, depending on Smith, Holgram, and Banchero will probably go top three in some order, depending on how 
how they get graded out by those teams. I think Jade and Ivy at four. Now, obviously, Oklahoma City, if they were to finish fourth, I don't think needs a point guard. I, I don't think necessarily needs a combo guard. They would probably – that could be a pick that they trade out of. You know, maybe they go with uh, Benedict Maturin. Uh, I don't. I, I think that's how you pronounce his name, from Arizona. Um, you know, to give them – to if you know, to give them a wing – um, I, I do think Jaden Ivey is, is that fourth best player, uh, in, in this year's draft though. This is where I would interject with Shaden Sharp from UK. Now, chances are he does not come out, come out this year. Uh, but he was the number one overall prospect for the class of 2022. He was given early access to enroll at Kentucky and he doesn't even have to touch the court in college. And I think a team would take him in the top five. I he's, don't know about that. That is ambitious. He's 6'6", six, 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 uh, 215. I, I think you're going to have to see him play first and foremost. I, I would agree with you. I, I Depending on how he plays – um, you know, these last six weeks of the season with Kentucky um, is obviously going to be, you know, the, the but is going to be the decider for him. If I was in his corner, like just depending on how these six weeks go, you know, I, I will say the NBA draft room does not even have him in the first round at the moment. Uh, and th- th- this was updated before that decision before he was granted eligibility for the 2022 NBA draft. NBA draft.net has him 12th at the moment. I think if somebody could get him at 12, then they're committing highway robbery. I really do. Like this guy, you know, and I mean, I watched him in high school, not ultimately like what decides how good you're going to be. But I really do think, like, if you get the opportunity to take him, you know, you're looking at, like, a more athletic Steven Jackson type, just pure scoring shooting guard who makes people's life hell on defense. Um, dude can jump out of a gym. I, I would take him four, and then I would put Jay Divey after that because I think – Shane Sharp's the better overall player. I think Ivy's the better, maybe the more athletic, um, athletic overall player. But I, I think Sharp is the better player out of those two. But that spoils that Jaden Ivy would be my fifth pick with an honorable mention to Ty Ty Washington, who I think should be kind of moving up the board for people as well. He's been very good at UK. I think he's got like a 3.5 six assist to turnover ratio, which is absurd. I mean, um, I would I, I would consider him being a top five pick. And obviously, at the end of the day, it's all going to depend on who's down there. Because, like, if the Pacers end up with a second overall pick and Chet Holgram's there and they, you know, still have two centers, I don't know why they wouldn't pick him because that's what the Pacers do. Um, but I, I, I will say it, you know, it's – to me, it's like Jabari Smith, and then, you know, you have, like, 
Holmgren, who, like I said, I'm not super high on, but I can see why you would take him, you know, high, Banchero, you know, Ivy, Sharp, and then I throw darts at a dartboard and call it a day. I mean, Johnny Davis, I would say, is a top 10 pick. Jalen Duran, I would consider top 10 pick. Jaden Hardy, if he uh, from the G League Ignite's very good. I, I don't know where you would go from there, but there's a lot of players who I'm like, okay, I want to see it before I uh, call it a day. Except Shane Sharp. Yeah, I, I, I've seen it. I've seen him in high school. The dude, I literally watched the guy drop 26 in the first half of a game and then sit the rest of the game. I, I know he's there, and I know he can do it. Like I said, if, and if he gets a chance to play, he could prove he's the number one pick in just a few weeks. I really do think that. So. It would be really if you know if the Pacers had a flyer, you know, they get pick five and he's still there. I don't see why they wouldn't take him. It's just such a high upside pick there. Um, but I think we got to move on. There is two weeks for the trade deadline. And let's let's talk about it. Uh, let's talk about the Bulls first, Cam. Um, Iota Sumu. I think he had a 10-assist game, if I'm not mistaken, yesterday or the day before. He has been very impressive. Um, Teams were really stupid to pass on him in the draft, but also I think the Bulls are just so good at evaluating talent, and he's been unbelievable for them. But, and there's a huge but here, the way the Bulls' season's kind of crumbling here with injuries, COVID, things like that, I find it very hard that they would be able to even win a first-round series if they get paired against a team like Philly. They get paired against a team like even like my, you know, a Boston. Um, Charlotte, I think, just runs up and down the court faster, things like that. It, it really is brutal when injuries have hurt them. What, where do you think the Bulls are now? What do you think they need to do here with just – you know, a couple weeks for the trade deadline. Well, like I said, I, I've said it before. I think they need some front court depth, ideally. Um, obviously, you know, we should get Lonzo and Caruso back before, um, you know, by the end of in the next four to, you know, six weeks or so here. Um, the problem with the East is that the top six seeds, so Miami, Chicago, Philly, Cleveland, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn are all within two and a half games of each other. Now, the thing is, I think Chicago, I don't know if Chicago, like they're, they're four and six in their last 10. And I don't think the with the way that Philly has been playing and Cleveland has been playing, that playing 500 ball the rest of the season is going to, be, is going to keep them in the two seed in the East. I think they're, the Bulls are probably going to need to go on a little bit of another mini run here. Um, and, yes, Io DeSumo has been playing really well. Um, you know, the, the Bulls, I think, have really stepped up, you know, this year, you know, between DeRozan and Levine and, you know, it, it would – and um, – you know, Desumu, of course, obviously, I think it would be, I think um, Nikola Vucevic 
still has to provide a, just a little bit more for them. Um, you know, obviously they're going to need some combination of minutes from, you know, Kobe White and Javante Green and Jer Derek Jones are going to need to play some key minutes. Um, Tony Bradley has been playing a lot recently. Some combination has to happen there. They need, 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 need to find a way to get some depth. The problem is I just don't know where they're going to get it or how really more so how they're going to get it. Um, I think if the Bulls can get a top four seed and, you know, maybe avoid Brooklyn. I, I, it's just, I don't know. Like if you look in the, that top six of the East, like who's going to like, how, how are they going to settle them? Like what's the order of that, of the top six going to be? Cause it's, it's so tight right now. And a lot of those teams are playing, you know, pretty much the, you know, the same, you know, obviously Cleveland's been hot recently. Um, you know, Brooklyn, Chicago, and Milwaukee are all playing like 500 recently. It It's going to be a crazy finish down the stretch uh, in the Eastern Conference. And I don't know exactly where the Bulls are going to finish there, but I think, you know, they'll have ball back, you know, hopefully for a stretch before the end of the year. They'll have Alex Caruso back, hopefully for a stretch uh, before the end of the year. Hopefully you can, hopefully they can make a run and kind of secure a top four seed and, you know, maybe they get lucky on, you know, on who they have to play. Ideally they could, you know, they stay in the two seed and, you know, we'll, you know, figure it out in the conference semifinals, but this is going to be, this is going to be a, an interesting back half of the season for sure. Yeah. For me, uh, one of the big things with the bulls is like I said, I just, their matchup against even teams like Charlotte, I worry about because, Charlotte is one of those teams where they turn everything into a track meet. And do you really want Nikola Vucevic and DeRozan running a track meet? I, d I don't think you do. And that's one of the things that really worries me with that team. Another team that worries me is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, uh, you know, Mark, obviously your wife being from Cleveland, you might have a little more insight on the, was they the two seed Cavaliers or four seed Cavaliers? I think they're one and a half back of the Bulls right now. Mark, what do you think Cleveland is missing? Obviously, they have had pretty horrendous injury luck with their guards. Are they a Karis Levert away? Are they a um, another like two guard away from really having a title contending team or is it, are they just kind of being overblown right now and their schedule has been a piece of cake for them? Um, I still think they're maybe a year away. Um, don't get me wrong. I think they've got the pieces there. I think a lot of it's going to come down to, can they get everybody that, you know, their ideal starting five, can they, I think they have their ideal starting five in this team right now. But it's a question of, can they get everybody healthy? Um, I think that's what it really comes down to. And, I mean, gosh, they're so damn young, too. Like, most of their starting five is 23 or under, give or take. So, um, you know, I, I think it, you know, it might just be another year. Let everybody get healthy. Um, but I could be wrong. Um, 
yeah, they're they're playing out of their mind. I don't think I, I think if we were gonna say they were overblown, we could have maybe talked about that earlier in the year, but we're like almost at the trade deadline. And by then things usually shake out. Teams are typically for real or not for real by now. So yeah, the, their oldest starter is Lori Markinen, and he's 24. Yeah. And I don't know. Like it, Sexton's done for the year, right? Believe so. Yeah. So I mean, you have Sexton and you have Sexton and um, Ricky Rubio out for Ricky the Rubio are both out. I mean, I, I think if you were, if you're in a we got to win now mentality, you might do some finagling and see if you can get another guard to, you know, replace one of those injured guys. But the thing is, I don't think they have to look at it from a win now perspective because their roster is so young. Um, Here's the thing though. Personally, I think with the right matchups in the playoffs, like Cleveland's a two guard away from the conference finals. They, they, they could, they could take the Atlanta mold uh, from last year, right? Where Atlanta bought into their young core and, Lit the NBA universe on fire by making it to the conference finals. I think, given you know where they're at, where the Pacers are at, where some of these other selling teams are at, even like a Marcus Smart type of move makes a lot of sense for that team. But one of the things I've been seeing a lot of is Karis Levert, Justin Holiday for Ricky Rubio and Isaac Okoro. And the reason why the Pacers would do it is they get a flyer on Okoro. Um, the reason why the Cavs do it is because they get a secondary ball handler in Levert and then a shooter and defender off the bench, a 3-and-D guy in Holiday, who has been unbelievable as of late shooting for the Pacers. That moves the needle a lot, I think. While you're replacing a young guy like Okoro, who you know some fans are out on in Cleveland for whatever reason, you're getting a proven guy in Justin Holiday who can be your veteran leadership, and you're getting off of Ricky Rubio's money. If the Pacers cut him, which is a very real possibility, they would cut him and just pay him out for the rest of the year. He could rehab in Cleveland, and they could re-sign him in the offseason, maybe at a discount if they really want him in the future. But I think right now Cleveland needs to look at the East is as winnable as it's ever been probably the last 15 years and they have an opportunity with a 19 year old center, a 22, 23 year old center, I think of Jared Allen. And then a guy like uh, Darius Garland, who, you know, also has been really good for them. I think they, they look at that. They should go all in this year because who knows? They could do what Atlanta's done this year and kind of regress next year. And you don't, you don't want to take like Cleveland could have some serious cap space for next year too. Like if we're talking like you know having a projected starting lineup without any trades of like you know Garland and Sexton, Okoro, Markinen, and Allen. Like, oof. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they, and they've been... you have you have Evan Mobley. Yeah. Still. You have Evan Mobley coming off the bench. Like, uh, CD Os- Osman has been good for them. 
this year. Um, Kevin Love has re- revigorated yeah. his team his, himself this year. It's been really nice for them. Kevin Love, outside candidate for six man of the year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, like I said, I think yeah, they paid him enough money over the past five years. It's about damn time. Sorry. <laughs> I think I think if you're Cleveland, you go all in right now. Um, they really have an opportunity. Um, last team before we get to the Pacers, I want to talk about the Bucks. And last night or the night before, lost by 36 to Cleveland in kind of despicable fashion. 36 to Denver. Oh, sorry, Denver. My bad. 16 to Cleveland, though, a couple nights ago. They have been so weird this year. Um, just like some nights they're really good and they run teams out of a gym. And then sometimes they lose the Nuggets who are missing their uh, two of their three best players, two of their four best players. I get worried with Milwaukee that they might have their title winning window shutting already because they're missing out on Brooke Lopez. And I know a lot of people say that Brooke Lopez isn't that big of a deal, but if you look at where this team is right now versus where they were a year ago, now having Brooke Lopez has been a massive deal for them, and they don't really have the pieces to go out and get another center unless it's like Goga Batazic. You know, like, could the Pacers, like, sell low on Goga and the Bucks pick him up as, like, a, you know – light three and D Brooke Lopez probably, but I don't know if that's even enough for them to get back to their form. Cam, what do you think is really the issue with the box? Is it just this interest and they'll pick it up later? Is it Brooke Lopez is that big of a deal? I think it's a little bit of a championship hangover. Um, Obviously I, I agree with you. I think the, you know, it being without Brooke Lopez is tough for them because I do think he gave them an ability to, you know, space the floor and clear out for, uh, for, for Giannis. Um, obviously, Bobby Portis has been good for them this year, but I, I think the, you know, Brooke Lopez's skill set um, is just something that they're missing. Um, you know, obviously, they're getting good minutes from, uh, Pat Connington, you know, and as well as their other shooting guard who shall not be named uh, on this podcast. Um, you know, I, I think they're probably just... Wait, they uh, signed Lord Voldemort on their team? <laughs> basically. Um, and the crazy thing is uh, he who shall not be named kind of like looks a lot like a cousin, one of my cousins, which just makes it even more weird. Um you know, it, it's it's like I said, they, they, they're having a, a little bit of just, a I think, a hangover year. Um, you know, they, they were one of those teams. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Um, you know, obviously, all NBA teams are going to go through a stretch like that. Um, you know, going into that, uh, you know, going into that last 10 games, I think they were they had they were on like a six game win streak uh, as well. So it's just one of those things. It It's probably going to be um something that we you know this is a stretch that we'll probably forget about going into the playoffs but you know like you said this is 
probably, or this is the most winnable the East has been because, you know, depending on how some of these playoff seeds seedings work, you could, I, I think you could argue for five of the top six, like probably every, if you look at the top six in the East, you could probably make a decent argument for everybody but Cleveland. And we already talked about Cleveland. Like they, they feel like they're shooting guard away from, you know, being able to spike a couple playoff series. Um, it, it's the, the East is wide open. And I think Milwaukee is going to need to kind of refine their form uh, sooner rather than later. And this is a Milwaukee team that is only 20 and 16 against the Eastern conference. So they haven't necessarily had the, um, the easiest go of it in the conference either. Right. And so like a trade that I think of would be like Rodney Hood, Semi Ojale, and a 2022 second, or maybe the Pacers future second back to them for Goga Batase makes a lot of sense for them because they're taking a flyer on a guy who the Pacers clearly don't give a fuck about. And he does fill a role that they are desperately missing with Brooke Lopez being out. But now it's time to talk my favorite part of the show. What the fuck is wrong with the Indiana Pacers? And this is my favorite part of the show because I don't understand this team anymore. Um, their last part of the show was uh, discussing Ben Simmons' trades. Uh, we'll get to that. That's my second favorite part of the show. Um, the Pacers are winning again for no reason. Like They shouldn't be winning, honestly. Like I'm so fucking sick of this team actually winning games at this point because it's not good wins. Like, if they were winning games and they had a chance, then I would be super thrilled. But it's like when the Butler Bulldogs pull off a win or when Indiana State wins a game in their conference. It just doesn't feel right. And so here I am. I'm watching them give up 158 points to the Hornets in front of their owner because Kelly Oubre decides to become Superman for a game. And then the very next game they play, they play the most lackadaisical game I've ever seen where neither team wanted to win against the Oklahoma City Thunder in a 113-110 victory in overtime where it took Sabonis having 24-18-10 and 44 minutes coming off a foot injury to win against the Shea Gilgis Alexander list thunder. And then the very next night they get shit canned by Dallas and tonight they're being the Clippers at home. I really don't get this team. I want them to make moves. Miles Turner is toxic for the locker room. And there's been numerous articles coming out out of, out of Scott Agnes, out of some of these higher end reporters, Bob Kravitz, there's something wrong in the Pacers locker room. Obviously, the players are keeping it in-house. Um, I honestly think it's some combination of Miles Turner pissed off about his, you know, not getting playing time or not getting his role adjusted properly. Rick Carlisle being pissed off because the team is built horribly. The general manager being pissed off because he can't make moves because ownership won't let him. And then players like Karis LeVert not buying in, Jeremy Lamb not buying in, players like that who 
realize they're just a bag of balls running up and down the court. And it's really frustrating to watch. And if you, if you, if you get on Pacers Twitter, it's a very dark and depressing place. Um, but it is extremely eye-opening to see the discussions on there about like what fans really want, because ownership thinks the, that the fans want everybody, you know, to build on the fly and win games, things like that. Fans on Twitter want to tank. And then fans on Facebook want to trade Miles Turner away for Taylor Horton Tucker and a second round pick. Now, <laughs> I don't engage in Pacers discourse on Facebook because most Pacers fans are fucking morons and don't understand how to value how to evaluate talent and players. That being said, if they traded away Miles Turner for Taylor Horton Tucker, salary filler and a second round pick, I would probably never watch a Pacers game again and become a Memphis Grizzlies fan. I, I would be that done with it. And so, I don't know what the... Here's the thing. So, you have Sabonis out on COVID protocols for what... Six days. Up to six days, yeah. Um, this seems like the opportunity to do it. Like, if you're going to pull the trigger, like, this week is the time to pull the trigger. Right, and everybody's and, like... And just and set the market. Everybody says we should wait till the actual deadline so we can wait out the best offers. And I said, the best trades before the trade deadline get done the week before. Yeah, if you wait until the trade deadline, everybody that you want is going to be gone. So I, I look at, you know, Sabonis being looked to, linked to Washington because Bradley Beal's pissed off right now. So what, 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 what do you send over if you're Washington? Maybe like some combination of like Hachimura, um, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, some draft assets, Denny Admia, whatever. That's probably a fine package if you're the Pacers and you think Hachimura and Admia are that good. You know, they need to move Karis Levert. They need a salary sell. They need to just dump salary dump, you know, Jeremy Lamb, because even though I like Jeremy Lamb, I think he's a good player. And when he's bought in, he's very good. I think there's a lot of players on this team that need to get out. They need a culture reset. And I think that's part of the reason why they're struggling so much is because they have guys who think they're number one options, a.k.a. Karis LeVert, a.k.a. Miles Turner thinks he's a number two or number three on a good team. Then they have a guy who is a number one option but isn't very vocal like Demonis Sabonis. And then they have Malcolm Brogdon who hasn't fucking played in, you know, 20 games and probably will get traded in the offseason. Like, they need to realize this is their time to rebuild. And I'm just you, let me let me lob a trade deal, and this is courtesy of Josh Robbins and Bob Kravitz of the Athletic. They there would you take a, a a package of Rui Hachimura, Corey Kispert, and Denny Abdija for Devonta Sabonis? 
I think there'd have to be like because here's the thing: the Pacers would have to cut two players if they do that. They don't have salaries. They don't have any like roster spots. I think they would have to like maybe like throw in Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, something like that. Get like a shit salary back and like a second. And then, like, you could have a deal. I, I like that core. I just don't like the fact they got to cut two guys, especially when you're talking about non-guaranteed deals being, like, uh, your kid from Syracuse and O'Shea Brissett, and then um, the wonder man himself, Kiefer Sykes. Um, that being said, I I'm, I would take the base of that deal. I like it. And I, and I would sell Sabonis for that. I think that that is a real – because, to me, that's very similar to the – Kavon or the uh, trade that we saw early in the season with Golden State, where it was like, here's three lottery picks that we picked in the last couple of years. We'll switch you these for Sabonis. That makes a lot of sense to me. What What about that deal? Same three picks for like Turner and Jeremy Lamb. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, at, that, at that point, if you're getting that for Jeremy Lamb and Miles Turner, you you should call that into the NBA tomorrow. Yeah. And say sign me the fuck up. Like I, I, I think they're gonna end up having a salary dump, Jeremy Lamb, or another team that you know has been decimated by injuries here recently is the Utah Jazz, um, and they could really use Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb. Package those two for Joe Ingles in like a s- couple of seconds, or those two for like a heavily protected first and Joe Ingles. You get fourteen million in cap space. And you help out the Jazz there, um, potentially keep on the train there. Um, but that, that's enough Pacers discourse. I'm so fucking sick of this team. Um, I, I missed this. I, I, this is, if we're going back to like some, some buyers and sellers talk, something that's critically important for Cleveland. Uh, but they picked up a $9 million. Uh, disabled player. Disabled. Yeah. Rubio, so Rookie Rubio. If they trade Ricky Rubio, it goes away. Um, but the caveat with those is you can only pick up a player on a one-year deal. So they have to pick up an expiring salary that fits into that salary, and it's not much out there that would actually benefit them, I think. Uh, Pacers look like they're going to pull off this one, 121-111 over the Clippers. I, I think the next – step here is my two trades of the week um now so let's let's set so the last thing about pacers yeah like do you think they should just tank and then go for a reset in the summer and get as high a draft pick as you possibly can yes i i think that would be the common sense perspective to me because they're not winning right now isn't getting them anything at all there, there's two it, things it just admires them in mediocrity like they have been to where the mediocrity that they've been in has been, okay, we sneak into the playoffs, lose first round mediocrity. And now it's mediocrity of, we don't even get in the playoffs, but we're still not bad enough to get a top draft pick. There's two things they need to do. Um, They need to decide the future of Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren. And they need to decide if they think Demonis Sabonis is their future. Um, 25 years old, pretty much averaging a triple-double for them this year. If they can make those decisions, it makes the next week, week and a half, very clear. 
But with Sabonis being out six days, Malcolm Brogdon rehabbing a pretty severe Achilles injury and TJ Warren still rehabbing the surgery on his foot, it's making that decision is becoming very hard. If I'm the Pacers, though, I ask TJ Warren if he wants a one-year extension as like a prove-it deal, $10 million. One year, $10 million. There'll be a second year on that as a team option. If he takes that, you're golden because $10 million for 60% of what TJ Warren was for them the last couple of seasons is totally worth it still. Brogdon is underpaid if he can play 60% of the games. And if he doesn't, he's overpaid. This year, I think he's on pace to play around 50%. I, I don't know what his future is in Indiana. And then to me, I think you got to move off Miles Turner, Karis LeVert, and they have no business winning games right now. I'm going to go watch them on Wednesday against the Orlando Tragic because I want to go watch Cole Anthony ball out for 48 minutes. Um, That being said, they'll probably end up with like the 12th overall pick, get some bullshit center from Nicaragua. And here we'll be next year, and I'll be still bitching about us not being able to win games or tank properly. Well, let's let's move on to your second favorite segment. Yeah. Show, Zach. That is the uh, Ben Simmons trades that are never going to happen. Uh, so this week, this week, it's just one Ben Simmons trade and one Russell well, Westbrook trade. I, I, want to, I want to set the table first because um, – about a week ago, Shams and Sam Amick for The Athletic kind of had an update into the Ben Simmons uh, talked discussion, uh, saying Charlotte is apparently exploring some trade talks with them. Obviously, we knew the two real um, kind of tangible and the two most tangible offers um, were with Sacramento. They wanted a package revolving around Tyrese Halliburton and multiple first round picks. Sacramento has pulled out of those discussions. They were talking with Atlanta regarding John Collins and multiple first round picks. Um, Obviously Atlanta would need Tobias Harris would have to take on Tobias Harris as well. Um, There were, there's been uh, this kind of persistent rumor uh, at, at least in the past couple of weeks that like Philadelphia and Brooklyn could potentially just swap Ben Simmons and James Harden. Um, as you know, the rumors, the rumor is that Harden is a little frustrated uh, with uh, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving. See, um, here's what I would do. I would, I would offer a Kyrie for Simmons swap because I think that solves a lot of issues with Harden. And you gave up so much to get James Harden that trading him, you're not going to get anything back. You know, obviously you get stuff back. You're not going to get anything near what you traded. You basically traded eight first-round picks plus, like, three quality players for James Harden. And I'm sorry, but, like, they, that's not good. Um, if you're getting him for a two-year rental and he – just leaves. So 
that's what I would be looking at is like, can we get Kyrie out of there? Maybe attach like, I don't know, Kyrie in a first. Kyrie, maybe a couple seconds for Ben Simmons. Because I think it solves both teams' issues where like they need a non-zero all-star playing next to Joel Embiid, who is having a transcendent season. And Brooklyn needs a solution to a very bad problem of we have Kyrie every other game and this fucking sucks. And this is a team, you know, Brooklyn has lost four games in a row. They have a game against the, the Sun. Oh, that is going to be uh, tough to say the least. Um, it's, yeah, so like I said, there's probably like no good Ben Simmons trade, at least in the, I, I, I don't think, like, to, let me put it this way. I don't think there has been a, and I'm not, not as much as I do make fun of you for these, Zach, I'm not making necessarily making fun of you for this. I don't, I have said this, I said this at the beginning of the year. I've said this throughout the year. I'm going to say it until we get to the trade deadline. He's not getting traded. I don't think there's a, I I just don't think there's a Ben Simmons trade. It's it's not happening. He's not getting traded. Had played, you know, if he had been playing like if he had played like 20 games this year, 30 games this year, if he was kind of doing like a Kyrie thing where maybe he's playing every other game, um, yeah, I think there is a Ben Simmons trade at this point. Uh, I, I think the rest of the NBA is kind of just sticking it to Philadelphia to an extent. I don't think there's and rightfully so. I don't think there's a lot of teams that want to deal with uh, Daryl Morey. And I do think that the asking price for what we, for what we have not seen uh, out of Ben Simmons this year is ridiculous. And even the, the day that he showed up to training camp got bounced and like, I, I don't, I, I don't think there's a Ben Simmons trade, but I will let you present your, your trade of the week. Yeah, so I have two trades. Uh, first one being a Ben Simmons trade. Second one being a Russell Westbrook trade. I think two of the most polarizing players and quote-unquote trade assets on the market. Um, for those of you who deny that Joel Embiid needs help, they have given up a 15-point lead to Memphis and are currently John Moran on the foul line with seven seconds left away from losing another game where they've had a double-digit lead in the second half. Here's my thought process uh, for this Ben Simmons trade. I want you to think about who the Orlando Magic have on their roster who's out for the year. Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac. And I want you to think about what Philly has said they want in return. An all-star caliber player and secondary ball creation and shooting. So I present Gary Harris, Terrence Ross, and four picks swap for Ben Simmons. Gary Harris at the height of his career has been pretty close to an all-star, pretty close to an all-star. 
I think there was a year where he was averaging about 19 points, a um, couple of rebounds, pretty good defender, really good shooter, has really turned it on here lately, has looked really good for the Magic, even though his last season in Denver wasn't quite what they were hoping for. And then Terrence Ross is notoriously streaky, but can be very deadly for anybody who's trying to make a playoff run. Um, in fact, I think he single-handedly won them a game in the bubble just by, like, dropping 40 for no reason at all. Now, they also get four picks. They get the 2022 second-round pick from the Magic, which will probably be pick 32, 33, somewhere in there. They get Denver's 2025 first-round pick, Chicago's 2023 first-round pick, and then the 2023 top-10 protected Magic pick, all for Ben Simmons. It also saves them about $20,000 against the cap. Isn't really a big deal, but, like, you know, they're already over the cap, but it does give them a little bit of salary uh, release there. And overall... It gets them assets, like, for the future. And, like, these are good assets if you're talking about, you know, the 33rd pick this year, 32nd pick this year, and then also a top 10 protected pick from Orlando next year. Even if Orlando's a play-in team, you're getting that pick at 14, 15, somewhere in there. That's a decent pick uh, for a 76ers team who's looking to win a title. The reason Magic do this is because – when they get Jonathan Isaac back, when they get Markel Fultz back, and when Jalen Suggs kind of gets in on his own, they've had a really good hit with Wagner. And let's say they get, I don't know, Chehul run this year. That's a really good young roster where you have Simmons, Cole Anthony, Suggs, you know, Wagner's been playing unbelievable. Wendell Carter Jr., who's still young and good. Jonathan Isaac, Fultz. They could be a playoff team next year, which is crazy to think, like, they pull a Cleveland Cavaliers here. But I think that trade, similar like what the Cavs did for, uh, you know, their center in, uh, you know, what the Cavs did to get Jared Allen, this is a very similar trade in that it's like a – Swing for the fences kind of move, but it's like swing for the fences next year. And we've seen it work with the Cavs. They got Mobley, and it's really worked out well for them. I think I think it'll work out for the Orlando Magic. I want your thoughts here. Uh, it could can. It does. I, I think it makes it makes more sense for Orlando um, because you know I do think that they, you know, with this probably top two, top three pick that they're going to get this year. Um, and, you know, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, I do think the top three certainly um, are very high floor guys. Uh, it does, I, I think, yeah, it would make sense. And it does, I think, you know, give Orlando a young, good young core to work with. Now, again, our, I, I don't think Gary Harris and Jonathan Isaac are enough to get back for, for the Sixers, I, I, again, it's just one of those things where I don't no, know. It's, we, not, it's not Jonathan Isaac because Jonathan Isaac is out for the year. You would not want him in this trade, but it is. Um, oh, Terrence Ross. Terrence, Terrence Ross. Ross, yeah. Okay. Um, 
I still, I, I still don't know. It's like, I, I still think if, if Maury doesn't get an all-star or a borderline all-star back for Ben Simmons, uh, ownership, I mean, ownership probably just runs him out of town, honestly. Well, let's say, hypothetically speaking, you're offered this or like a combo of like Buddy Hill and Rashawn Holmes and like two firsts. Well, right. It, I would be now. Here's the thing: if I was Daryl Morey, um, obviously I don't know what kind, what sorts of deals that he's getting on a day-to-day basis. What sort of conversations? He's getting. I can only imagine that they're probably not great. Like if you can't get, um, you know, somebody like John Collins, or if you can't get, you know, the Kings back on the phone, then it, it, it makes it probably just makes more sense to me to deal uh, to to not deal. I'm sorry, Ben Simmons. But like, let's say that you had to trade him, um, you know, at the at the trade deadline. Then yeah, you're gonna take whatever whatever you can get. And yes, it would probably make you know or it would make Orlando better for sure. See, I mean, let's say the second best offer, like if you're if you're on the phone and the Magic offer you basically four first round picks. I understand it's technically a second, but it's a cheaper first round pick. And then Gary Harris and Terrence Ross, who can help you win now, who are not net zeros like Ben Simmons is right now. In fact, I would argue he's kind of a net negative because that's still an aura around the team that's still there. If the Pacers call you and say, we'll give you Karis LeVert, Justin Holiday, and Torrey Craig and a, and a first-round pick. What, what plane do you want Ben Simmons on? I don't think that that's a better deal. You don't think that's I, – I mean I, – I am saying right now, if you, if, if you look at you're getting a protected first-round pick from the Pacers, let's say it's 2024, Justin Holiday, Torrey Craig, and LeVert, I don't think that's a better deal. Than what oh, yeah. Get. I mean, if there's only one first-round pick. Yeah, you're getting one pick the, out of this. The problem is, like, the Sixers are probably – well, the Sixers are going to ask for this year's pick. And I think that you, the Pacers – And it would be – and the Pacers would top 10 protect it, and they would hang up the Yeah, team. so it's like, okay, we'll give you – I think, you know, the Pacers would have to be like, okay, we'll make it 2023, top 10 protected, 2025, no protections. Yeah, and the Pacers would hang up the phone. There's no – especially because they still don't have a deal to get Sabonis or Turner off the books, it'd be impossible for the Pacers to take a, on a Ben Simmons-type player when they still have these two bigs, plus Isaiah Jackson, who balled out tonight, you know, 26-10 and 10 in his first start in the NBA, and Gogo Bataze, who they did pick up the player option on, or the team option on for next year. I think until you – can move either both of your centers, one of your centers, whatever, it's impossible to make a Ben Simmons deal for the Pacers unless there's a third team involved getting a Miles Turner, Demonis Sabonis, whatever. That being said, let's move on to the second trade because I know Mark has to leave. And, Mark, I'm going to want your opinion on this one. All right, I'll give a quick hot take, and then I should probably jump off here. The the Lakers – What's up? The Lakers 
get Kemba Walker, Alec Burks, and Evan Fournier. The Knicks get Russell Westbrook and the 2027 top 10 protected first round pick from the Lakers. What do you think, Mark? This podcast is sponsored in part by Fanatics. Fanatics offers the broadest assortment of fan merchandise and memorabilia worldwide from all your favorite leagues and sports, not just the NBA and NCAA like we talk about here, but also the NFL. And I'm in the market for some new Packers gear myself, and with Fanatics selection, I can choose between jerseys, t-shirts, and sweatshirts, even face masks, tailgating equipment, and stuff for my pets. And I'm leaning towards getting a nice sweatshirt myself. You can also shop MLB, NHL, NASCAR, and all your favorite soccer leagues around the globe. Order now and get free U.S. shipping on any and all orders over $29 using code 29SHIP. Again, that's 29SHIP29SHIP. And now, back to the podcast. I don't really know if anybody wins that trade because I feel like you're just trading a shit show for another dumpster fire either way. Um, like, I don't mean to put it super bluntly like that, but um, I mean, you look at Russell Westbrook, he's obviously going to bring, he's going to be your starting guard that has, he's going to have the ball in his hand the whole time. Um, he's at least going to probably stay healthier than Kemba is. And Kemba, you know, Russell Westbrook's shot might be pretty horrible, but at least he stays healthy and he can probably score you at least 20, 25 a game. If Kemba Walker's not healthy, he's not scoring you any. Um, and then I think in terms of the return, in terms of Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, and you said um, Alec Burks. Alec Burks. I mean, at least you're not pulling a bunch of, like, 36-year-olds in return, which is, like, kind of what the Lakers have been about all year anyway. But you're, you're, you're getting your <laughs> roster slightly younger. Um, slightly younger. I think it fits better than, like, who they've had. Because, like, Kemba can still shoot. Fournier can shoot. I, I also don't think Russell Westbrook was a good fit for that roster to begin with. And, like, I think everybody kind of thought that, or it's like, all right, well, I guess this is going to be our number three option, but well, he thinks he's a number one option, and that's always going to clash a little bit. So, I don't I think mean, the thing is, I think, too, is if you send Westbrook to the Knicks, I like, I think he's probably a net negative team for that team, too, because, like, then you're taking the ball away from Julius Randle and like he's been awful this year. Yes, but I think I I I would rather be building my team around him than I would be Westbrook. Like if we're talking if we're like being honest here. Um yeah, I like how, Russell Westbrook at this point. How fun would Westbrook in the garden be? Would be fun. I would go. You're not thinking, Mark, you're not thinking of the pure entertainment marketability of um, James Dolan. I, you're not thinking of the absolute uh, fire Knicks fan reaction videos we would get outside of the garden uh, after like Westbrook went like seven for 26. With a, like 
and like uh, a stat line of 2015 and 15 and a 30 point loss like (laughs) shoots shoots 30 percent from the field or whatever bullshit um that would be fun like the nihilistic side of me would say yeah sounds like a great time um i'd watch but um You, you know if i'm the lakers and that was called in like if the Knicks were like hey this is an offer we're willing to make for Russell Westbrook I would almost maybe just say all right fuck it why not no I, I I'm picking up the phone the three-way phone to the commissioner and saying I am doing this deal right now while we have them on the phone because like to me they are in such a bad position with Russell Westbrook the bring in some movement shooting, a second point guard, things like that would go a long way. I, I feel like the Lakers, the Lakers would feel like they're they'd be they would be getting punked. Like, all right, where, where's Ashton? Come on out, Ashton. Where, where are you at? <laughs> I just I, I don't know what the actual best option is here because like you got to ride I, out Russell Westbrook if you're the Lakers. That's the only. I, I don't think so. I, I think you can. Um, you know, obviously they've been they've been offering the package here recently. Taylor Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn and a first is getting them nowhere. Like apparently they called up the Pacers, tried to get Karis Levert. Pacers said no. Apparently they called up uh they've called up Detroit, tried to offer them the package uh for Jeremy Grant. They said no. Here's the deal. If if you <laughs> If you get Russell Westbrook moved, to me, there's like two options. You can send them to the Knicks to rot in hell. Or you send them to the Thunder to rot in hell. Because the Thunder have so much cap space. But would you rather be hanging out in New York City or Oklahoma City? Yeah, While you're rotting in hell. You'd have to give the Thunder like two first-round picks to even take them. And who are the Thunder going to give you – like? Who are you gonna get for the from Oklahoma City? You'd have you'd have to send like two first round picks to Oklahoma City. Yeah, and honestly, I don't know what they like Mike Muscala. <laughs> like that's about it. Um because that's yeah, the thing, I, like who on Oklahoma City is LeBron gonna want to hang out with? Is the important question. Nobody, but like you know what? It's like it's one of those things where they're running out of time because ultimately you can't you can't waste another good season of LeBron. And Anthony Davis is not going to get traded because when he's healthy, he's a top five player, but nobody's going to take him because he's brittle. The only move that makes sense is a, is a Russell Westbrook trade and I think if you could sell them for a bag of balls from New York and send them a first out of it, kind of look at it as a win to me, but I don't know. It's tough, but I think it's time we wrap this up with the buyers and sellers to watch out for the trade deadline. We've talked about a few of them. The one I, I, I think, people need to realize is the Utah Jazz. Joe Ingles torn ACL out for the year. No other structural damage to his knees. So prayers up to him. 34 years old, entering free agency this year. 
he was probably going to be a league minimum player the next couple of years if he played it out. I don't know what the future holds for him. I hope, you know, he can recover and get back to playing basketball because when Joe Ingles is playing, the LA fitness guys are going haywire. And I love that kind of attitude and energy that you get from him. That being said, you know, if they were to say to Indiana, hey, we'll take Jeremy Lamb and Tory Craig, we'll send you Ingles in two seconds. If I'm the Pacers, I say, yeah, fuck it. Like, we'll consolidate assets and free up another 15 million in cap space. Um, if yeah, I, I think it's going to be a buyer as well. I think they have a legitimate shot of being, a you know, they're top, four. I think they're a top four seed right now. You know, Dallas has some interesting assets. They've got Jalen Brunson, Dorian Finney Smith. They have a really interesting contract. I don't know if it's good or bad with, uh, I would Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, at four years, I think it's eighty-five million dollars. It's tough to say what what he's worth. And then, of course, they have Dwight Powell on a very movable salary, Reggie Bullock on a movable salary. Um, but they're close enough to where, you know, they should be looking at shipping off Brunson while he's hot because you know he's got he's already said he wants four years 80 million for his next contract and they can't offer him that the most they could offer him is like four years 60 you know they could look at moving off of Dorian Finney-Smith because again he's wanting somewhere in that four year 65 to 80 million dollar range and this is an option I think this is an opportunity for Dallas to get something back for those guys and build for the next couple of years around Luca, because if they let those guys, because I, I think they're going to have a very tough decision on their hands when those, this, this off season, because someone is going to offer Jalen Brunson a very attractive offer sheet as a well, and, and that's the thing. He, I don't think he is restricted. I think because of how he was signed as a second round pick, he's an unrestricted free agent after four years, which is brutal for them. Um, but anybody who trades for these players has to know that like they're getting these guys guaranteed to resign. Right, sign. he is going to be unrestricted. So if I'm if I'm them, if I'm them, uh, I would be looking at maybe sending, you know, Brunson to the Knicks. I know they keep coming up, or I'd look at sending Brunson, maybe even to Portland, like ship off like Brunson and like maybe like a Reggie Bullock or um, Dwight Powell and go get like, you know, something back from them because Portland's obviously going to be a seller because of injury, the injury plagues on their team and everything. I think, you know, there there's options there, and it, it's tough because, like, I don't really know what Dallas needs, you know. Maybe it's a player like Larry Nash Jr. who's making around $10 million. Maybe it's, you know, uh, Robert Covington, uh, who's been a hot commodity, uh, according to NBA Twitter. Maybe, you know, they're looking at getting a guy – you know, again, the Pacers, two forwards are going to keep coming up. Justin Holiday and Torrey Craig can help literally any title contender win just because they're good defensive players. Um, or maybe they're like, let's go get Goran Dragic from 
you know, let's go try to get Goran Dragic this year, accept him into our cap space and see if he'll re-sign for two-year, $6 million, whatever it is. I don't know what they need to do, but obviously they're like this close, you know, they're so close to their ceiling, I think, uh, this season um, that, you know, they make one move here, one move there, and it pushes them over the edge. So I guess the rumors it, that I've seen um, – I, I have seen I saw an article where if they were to re-sign Brunson and Finney Smith for the amount that they're going to be asking for, it would really restrict uh, any moves that they could possibly want to do in the offseason. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure that those are the moves that they need to make in order to uh, in order to build around Luca, which is why I, I think it does make a little bit more sense for them to get a return on Jalen Brunson rather than like signing him to like a four-year, seventy-two million dollar deal. Um, so I just don't know what the return is. Now the other two teams that I think have an opportunity to make some noise in the West. What would you think, Memphis and Denver? need to do because obviously I think the Suns and Golden State are the tier the clear top tier in the West. I think those are clearly going to be one and two. I, I really like what Memphis has done this year. Um, do we think they kind of just stand pat uh, and see how the the bracket shakes out for them? Maybe they can, you know, beat you know Golden State in the conference semifinals. And then what does Denver need to do uh, to, to help um, one of the, you know, still, I think, underrated, disrespected players in uh, Nikola Jokic. Need, uh, like, is there a move that for either of the two of them that makes sense? Yeah, I think it starts for me, um, you know, looking at – Denver, they have a couple of options. And I think the first one would be like, what can you do with Jermichael Green or Will Barton? And so, you know, you look around the league, is there a team that's tanking or like trying to tank, aka the Pacers who might need a veteran presence, but like don't want to spend for one. Could you throw them like Jeff Green in a second for Tory Craig, or maybe Jeff Green in two seconds for Tory Craig, something like that? Um, you know, as far as like assets that they could potentially move off of Bones Highland, um, Austin Rivers, even Zeke Naji, you could potentially throw in deals, but they're really hard to work with because they have so much money thrown at Jamal Murray, thrown at Eric Gordon, and then, of course, Michael Porter Jr.'s uh, big contract extension comes in like, next year. So, like, he's going to start making about 39 or 30 to $39 million over the next five years. So you really start to pay him. And then, of course, Nikola Jokic, who by all accounts, by every advanced metric out there, I think is, like, a top five player in the league but doesn't get treated like one. 
you know, he's due for an extension next year. So you have to start making decisions of, well, Jokic is probably going to command around $40 million on the open market. You know, we need to be able to get a guy who will be able to fit into this timeline. So I think, you know, you look at Will Barton again, 31, probably isn't fitting in, you know, Michael Green is 31. Jeff Green is 35. Those players are the ones I would be looking at moving. Um, you know, you could look at like moving Compazzo, but again, somebody's got to want to take these guys back and finding a team to take those guys, unless it's a tanking team like your OKC, where you have to attach a pick to it, or maybe you send them to, um, you know, a team like Boston, so then clear cap space, things like that. I think what they need is another playmaker, maybe like a six-man type thing. You know, they were one of the teams that I think were rumored early to be interested in Karis LeVert. Um, you know, a Jermichael Green, Jeff Green, and maybe Zeke Naji is enough to get you Karis LeVert. And, and this is really going to make you sick. What do you think Denver's cap allocation is for next year? Uh, it's got to be like – Pretty disgusting, I'm sure. I don't even really. $155 million. Yeah, so I mean, they're $20 million over the, or, you know, $19 million over the salary tax next year. It, if they don't win this year and next year, they're going to be in a very sticky situation. That Michael Porter Jr. contract, you know, was already being rumored to be one of the worst contracts of all time. Uh, according to the ringer and, you know, Bill Simmons on his podcast. I don't know if I'm ready to go that far. He's got to play 80% of the games though, for him to be making $40 million at the tail end of that. So the the luxury cap is going to be 140 next year. So, I mean, that's still, that's still a $30 million luxury cap bill, right? Because it's two to one, right? Yeah, it's two to one. You're still talking about quite a bit of money. And like I said, you're cons- if you consolidate assets, it doesn't change anything. It makes it really difficult for them. But the other team you mentioned there was the Memphis Grizzlies. And, yeah, I got to say, I, talk about a team who's nowhere near the tax. Talk about a team who, by all accounts, has been – Pleasantly surprising. I think going into the year, I said they could be a top five team in the West, and you guys kind of made fun of me for it. But I said, man, I believe in Jaron Jackson Jr. I believe in what they're building. And I did not realize how good Desmond Bain was going to be for this team. He has been unbelievable uh, this season. I look at them being like – Dylan was, too. Yeah, they've been they've been, been playing really good. And he, he's due back here pretty pretty shortly. Yeah, he's uh he's gonna get about a 22, 23 million dollar extension, I think, coming up. And of course, John ja, ja Morant's gonna get a max contract. They'd be absolutely stupid to let him walk. But Jaron Jackson Jr., they signed at about 25 million a year. That contract looks like it's going to be a bargain if he keeps balling out the way he has been. Here's where I'm at if I'm 
if I'm Memphis, I need I need a guy who can spread the floor at the five position because I want to be able to switch one through five and I want to be able to shoot one through five. I think I know where this is going. So if I'm them, I look at a Steven Adams and Zaire Williams for Miles Turner type of swap or Steven Adams and inserts lower level player, even like a Xavier Tillman and maybe like a future first type of move for Miles Turner. And if that doesn't work, there's a team in Sacramento who no one has a clue what they're trying to do, but they've got a big who's been stretching the floor really well for them this year. Rashawn Holmes, who's on a very team friendly deal, making only about $12 million. I would be on the phone with the Kings trying to pry away Rashawn Holmes. And, you know, if they were to say, we'll take Kyle Anderson, Xavier Tillman in a first, or Kyle Anderson, Killian Tilly in a first, something like that, I would be absolutely terrified of Memphis in the playoffs. They could make a swing for another big who can stretch the floor. Because I think Steven Adams as a bench big for them, as a punisher who comes in and just like plays 20 minutes, gets rebounds, it punches you in the face. It's kind of what they're looking for with him. And if you can get a five next to Jaron Jackson, who can just step outside the three-point line and hit, you know, two out of five every game, and then also help defend the rim, it's really hard for me to look at that team and say, how do they lose? Because Utah's- yeah, I think I think Phoenix and Golden State would have issues with that team. Yeah, you know, Phoenix. I think <laughs> who on the Warriors is going to guard John Morant? Healthy Clay Thompson. That's it, really. I mean, is it crazy? Is it crazy to say that like with Golden State, you have to throw like Andrew Wiggins on him? or, like, double-team him like Wiggins Green, or maybe you have to start Kaminga to guard him because he's faster. That's a tough one, man. Um, also, shout-out to Andrew Wiggins somehow getting a fucking starting role in the All-Star game, man. I know Zaza did it a few years ago for Golden State, and, like, that's why the NBA has been shitting all over fan voting, but it's so funny to me. Andrew Wiggins was deemed the – the throw in in that trade for uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And at this point, it looks like a fleece because that trade looked turned turned into Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kamingo. So, um, yeah, you know, I don't know how they, I don't know how they would do it. And that's the thing is Golden State doesn't match up against Phoenix at all. They really don't match up against Memphis because Memphis also likes to turn every game into a track meet. They will, run you out of the gym and they're so they're very similar like my dream nba finals is charlotte versus memphis this season because it's two teams that want to go 300 miles an hour for 48 minutes and it's the team who can establish a post presence inside that's going to win that game um i would love to see like a 
anybody but like Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee in the East, just because I think we would hit like DEFCON zero on first take. Oh, I'm sick of kind of like a similar situation. Like, if, like if gold, like I, I'm happy with, I, I'd be fine if Golden State got there because I, I actually do kind of like gold. I just, there's something about Golden State. It's kind of tough to dislike that team outside of Draymond Green, really. You know, especially with you know the injuries that they have that they faced. Um, like I'm, I'm fine with whoever you know wins it in the West. You know, for the most part. Um, but the ultimate, I think the ultimate, like the ultimate NBA Finals would have to be like some sort, of, some sort of combination between like Miami, Chicago, or Cleveland, on like just the Cleveland on like the tear of their life versus like Memphis or Phoenix. And just, dude, just that watch, that, uh, that Cleveland NBA office like explode, dude. Cleveland, Memphis would be so fucking cool. I would love that. I would be glued to the TV during that. Um, don't think it's gonna happen. I think both of these teams are like one year away from like truly just coming out of their shells. I, I agree. We, let's put the futures bet on the on 2023 or 2022 2023 NBA finals, Memphis versus Cleveland, right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a very real possibility, and you know, another team, you know, another couple of guys that Memphis could be moving. You know, Jarrett Culver hasn't played a lot this year. Um, they took a flyer on him. They could move him because he's six million dollars in salary, maybe with a second or a late protected first for a player who's going to help him. You know, Justin Holiday. Uh, you know, they might go get like a scorer off the bench in Jeremy Lamb, or go get like. Goga plus something, you know, like those kinds of things make a lot of sense for them. But man, if I'm if I'm Memphis, if I'm Charlotte, if I'm Cleveland, and I'm these young teams in kind of this win now mode. Or, yeah, why why not? Go go for it. Um, you know, Charlotte Charlotte has been linked to Miles Turner over the last four seasons. If you're gonna make a move to do it, this is the year to do it because the Pacers are sellers. Their price for Miles Turner is pretty reasonable. They're talking about a starter and a first-round pick. You know, if you're Charlotte and you look at, you know, the picks you have in the future and maybe you throw in, like, a P.J. Washington, you know, maybe you throw in, you know, something like that. It To me, it's really hard for me to say no. And, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things where it's like it's wide open – Again, like it was last year, and thank God, man. I, I was sick of, like, these teams winning it every year, and I, I'm excited to see, you know, what the future holds for the NBA because, you know, there's talk of expansion. There's talk of, uh, you know, maybe getting an owner overthrown in uh, a certain city that shall remain nameless for now. There's, you know, next year we're going to have the two-for-one draft where you get kids coming right out of high school, you get kids coming out of the G League, you get kids coming out of college again. It's time, man. I'm excited. So uh, that being said, we've talked for fucking ever, it seems, um, about all things basketball. Damn near two probably hours. probably going to be our longest our longest episode, if I had to, th- if I had to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that being said, you know, Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. I made a Facebook page where you can find all of our links. I made a 
a website. I'm going to put some written content up there in the next couple of days. Y'all, I thanks so much for your support. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've had some killer guests. Be on the lookout tomorrow where I interview IUPUI's Macy Williams, the star of the team. She's been averaging uh, 20 and 15 over the last six games, and they have been on a tear winning 10 in a row. And, you know, she should be on the, the watching for anybody who's a WNBA fan. Uh, if you like, you know, if you like good college basketball, IUPUI women's team could switch one through five, and they have been very impressive here as of late in the Horizon League. They beat, you know, they, they made a very close game with Michigan early in the season, who just beat Indiana tonight. They beat Iowa on the road uh, this past, uh, this past, in this season. Uh, like I said, they've won 10 in a row in the conference, and they, they play again a couple games this week, so then look out for them. They're going to be on a tear come March. I'm calling it now. They're, the team is really good, um, centered around a couple of uh, grad transfer students. And then Macy Williams, who's been a stud since she's been here, three-time Horizon Player of the Year. Like, that's absurd uh, for her. So uh, we'll be doing that interview tomorrow around noon. So uh, um, or today around noon, uh, if you're hearing this on the 1st of uh, February, and uh, yeah, man, just uh, be on the lookout for all those things. And Cam, as always, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Mark had to dip out early because he had to go to bed uh, or play with his Legos, one of the two. And uh, the Pacers got a win tonight, a win that I didn't want them to get, but, you know, always helps boost their confidence when a rookie scores 26 and 10 in his first start. And, and as we I, finish off, game to watch. Uh, Taz Sherman and the Honey Bear are at it again. West Virginia currently has a five-point lead with two minutes left in the first half against Baylor. You know, they, um, were, da- they were down big early, too. They were down, uh, I think, seven or eight points early in this game. So Something but, to keep your eye on in that, in that uh, really tough big, tw- big 12. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like I said, thanks for listening wherever you are. Um, check out our content on our website, check out our Twitter, Instagram, all that. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day.